Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. I always love to do this. Let's appreciate our team for leading us out today. And uh, they get here early. And man, they serve the Lord with excellence. I'm just so grateful for them and grateful for the opportunity today. Uh, yet another Sunday that God has seen fit for us to make much of Jesus and to work with everything we had to connect everyone to the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are so glad uh, that you are here. As we speak now, uh, we have a group of our folks who are in Colorado, and they are worshiping this morning with one of our church plants. And they've done some incredible work already this week. So I just remind you that, uh, say, hey, pray for them. When you think of our mission team, pray for them. In fact, our staff techs got a, a video just uh, yesterday of Pastor Dominic and Pastor David who are in Colorado at a pretty incredible park there called the Garden of the Gods, and they went and saw that yesterday. And, uh, and I just want to show you a video that just proves something that I'll share with you. Take a look at the screen real quick. Uh, they, uh, they find themselves... Listen. I mean, you, you know what that proves? You, you know what that proves real quick? That every man in this place is really a five-year-old trapped in a giant man's body, right? Uh, we see that played out with them, and, and amidst all that fun stuff, uh, they really are impacting that community for Christ. So pray for our mission team. Uh, when you think of it today, I, I want us to talk about the power of a testimony. Not, not just really the power of any testimony, but the power of your testimony. The power of, of my testimony. You see, the word testimony is a word that's thrown around a lot on the church scene. You might say, well, Anthony, what do you mean when you say uh, the word testimony? What I mean is your first-hand account, really your story of how Jesus changed your life. Not somebody else's account, but your first-hand account, your story about how Jesus has saved and changed your life. Really, a testimony typically, and it can be different, but is comprised of three uh, different components. Watch this. Component number one, where you were, where your life was before Jesus. Where you were, where your life was before Jesus changed it. What was it like? What do you remember of those days? The second component is this, the moment when Jesus changed my life. The moment that Jesus saved me and everything was different. And the third component is simply this. What he's doing in my life right now. So where I was before Jesus, the moment when and how Jesus saved me, and what he's doing in my life right now. You see, here's the thing about a testimony. Testimonies are not only meant to be experienced. They were designed to share not only to be experienced, they were designed by God for you and I to share. Your story is meant to be shared and needs to be shared. Uh, here's another part of a testimony I jotted down. Maybe another definition. A testimony at its heart is never getting over what Jesus has done for you and making sure everyone knows about it. Testimony, listen, never get over what Jesus has done in you and for you. And you make sure that everybody knows about it. You see, that's your testimony. Today, we're going to study the testimony of a man in Scripture 
who met Jesus shortly after he left the temple area where he had made his famous I am the light of the world declaration in John 8, 12. So if you have your Bibles, go to John chapter 9 with me. John chapter 9. And as you turn there, I also want to share with you the incredible story of a man by the name of John. Not the John who writes the gospel where we've studied for so long now. But a John who would be born centuries later, in fact, in 1725. His mother was a Christian. Man, she loved and she knew and she followed after Jesus. And she made sure that her son John would know and love and follow after Jesus. She made it one of her life's goals. In fact, later on in life, John would reflect, as an old man, he would reflect on his time with his mom, and he would say, I was most happy in my mother's company. You see, John's dad was the captain of a merchant ship. He would be gone two to three years at a time, two to three years without seeing his daddy. And his mom played such an important role in his life. And can I just stop for a moment and just say, I mean, thank God for Jesus' loving mamas. Thank God for a mama who loves Jesus. I got a mama like that. I married a mama like that. I'm just so thankful for moms who love Jesus. You know, I think of John's story. And as we're going to see, it's a story that is filled with heartbreak and danger, hardship, toil, enemies who would, who would set out snares for him with the greatest enemy in John's life being himself. Speaking of heartbreak at the age of 11, while his dad was early into a voyage that would last him another couple of years, at the age of 11, John would watch his mom suffer with tuberculosis. And ultimately, he would have to bury his mama without his dad being there. It broke him. John from there rebelled against the very faith his mother worked hard to invest into her son. He had religion, but he had no relationship with or conviction for following Jesus. On one occasion, early on in his life, he was late to board a vessel that was going to take him and really all of his friends to go tour the wreckage of another ship. Well, he missed it, and as the boat was sailing off, something catastrophically failed on the boat, and the boat, it capsized, and he watched from the shore as every one of his friends drowned in the water. And talk about heartbreak. Speaking of hardship and toil, John, as a young man, was, was pressed in service into the Royal Navy in 1744. But as a man, he lacked any moral conviction, any discipline. He was a terrible sailor. In fact, he was such a disgrace that they relieved him of his post and traded him for another man who served on a slave ship who was involved in human trafficking. John was ensnared by his bad decisions the temptation of profits in human trafficking or in the slave trade proved to be too enticing. One day he would write later on in his life, I thought surely the scripture proved that there never was nor could be such a sinner as myself. And I tell you what, I've been where John's been before. He saw himself as a, a worthless wretch. And you see, that's the testimony of John's life. 
before he met Jesus. And we'll come back to John's story in just a little bit. Back to John chapter 9, the gospel writer. We find the story of another man whose life was filled with, with heartbreak and with danger and hardship and toil. Seemed to be caught ensnared by the very religion of his day. And the Bible begins here in John chapter 9. As he, meaning Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Here Jesus, having slipped away from those who would stone him, according to the end of John chapter 8, he now encounters a man who's in pretty bad shape. You say, why is he in bad shape? Well, he was a blind man in the ancient world. Blind from birth, Scripture says. He spent his whole life physically in darkness, and it affected him really not only physically and emotionally, but reputationally, relationally, and most importantly, spiritually. In verse 2, his disciples seeing the man asked Jesus, Rabbi, and of all the questions they could ask, you know what my question, why, why this one? Hey, Rabbi, hey, Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Hey, what a weird question. Instead of coming from a place of compassion for the man who lay begging according to verse 8 in the street who is blind, they come from a place of curiosity about theology and religion concerning the man. And what we begin to find in verse verse 2 is we get some insight into how messed up theology and religion was in that day for some people. You see, as the Pharisees, the religious leaders, worked hard to make sense of suffering, they insisted that a child born with a special need, like blindness, was either due to the sin of the child in the womb or to the sin of their mom or dad. Hey, by the way, just on the top here, Jesus would later refute and rebuke their flawed and damaging teaching. I heard it said this way, such flawed teaching made, made sense to the Chinese and their Taoism, that yin-yang philosophy that says for every action there is a reaction, or the dogmatic position of some in Islam where they have a God-willed philosophy, or even rabbis in Jesus' days that taught that no one died or even got sick unless there had been sin. Rabbis taught that even a child could sin in the womb. They even suggested at times that a child born with a special need might have had a pre-existence. I mean, dabbling in reincarnation here. That's how flawed and how damaged their teaching and their theology was. Hey, can you imagine the trauma, the hurt, the irreversible damage of such bad theology and bad religion? What it inflicted on those who were born with a special need? The needless and the, the godless plant, the pain that was inflicted upon a mom and dad. Really, in reality, the question disciples had for Jesus dealt with one of the most perplexing questions of our faith. And that is how you and I deal with the nature of suffering. Hey, why are kids born blind? But why are kids born at times with a special need? Questions we ask today is it. Is it something I did? Did we do something wrong? Why did God allow this? Well, what we begin to see in verse number three is that Jesus puts a stop to the speculation that is surrounding this man 
in his blindness. He puts a stop to it. And he says this, I love it in verse 3. He says, hey, neither this man nor his parents sin. Hey, by the way, if you have a child with a special need in here, can I leave you here with Jesus? Can I let Jesus stop the speculation in your heart and your mind? Neither this man nor his parents sin, Jesus said, but this happened so that the works of God, listen, the works of God might be displayed in him. I, I want you to hear me. Jesus has a heart for individuals with special needs, and it is especially seen for those who were blind, which, by the way, in the ancient world was super common and more commonplace than we even see today. Perhaps that's why Jesus healed more blindness in Scripture than any other disability or disease. In fact, Jesus' ministry to the blind was marked out for him in places like Isaiah 700 years before he was born, and yet the ministry of Jesus was spoken of. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. That Scripture points to the day that Jesus would come. You see, bad religion brought a lot of spiritual blindness in Jesus' day. I remember reading a, a note from a Bible scholar. His name is F.F. F. Bruce. And I want you to listen to what he says about this part where this happens so that God's work may be displayed in him. Listen to what he writes. It's a paragraph long, so just make sure each other stay awake, okay? Here's what he writes. This does not mean that God deliberately caused the child to be born in order that after many years his glory should be displayed in the removal of blindness. To think so would again be an aspersion on the character of God. It does not mean that God, it, here's what it really does mean, he says, that God overruled the disaster of the child's blindness so that when the child grew to manhood, he might, by recovering his sight, see the glory of God in the face of Jesus and others seeing this work of God might turn to the true light of the world. What a powerful rebuke by Jesus to the karma-like flawed theology that was around that day. Hey, can I remind you, believer, we do not believe in karma. We believe in grace. We are not people of karma. We rather are the body of Christ, knowing that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, been called according to his purpose. There was some Wycliffe Bible translator by the name of Bob and Jan. Their job was among the Makuna people and the Makuna tribe in southeast Colombia. They were tasked with making sure that they translated the entire Bible into the native Makuna tribe's language. And they did just that. It took them over five years as they would check and recheck to make sure their translation was spot on. And on one day as they were finishing the Gospel of John, the chief brought his entire tribe to the translators. There they all sat on the ground and they listened to the Gospel of John being read. Well, as they got to John chapter 9 and the translators began to talk about this blind man and the reason he was blind was so that, that the works of God could be displayed through him, the chief stood up and he held up his right hand, which meant everyone must be silent and listen. And then his next words stunned his tribe. Upon hearing about why this man would face blindness and what God would do with it, 
he stood up and he said this to his tribe. We must stop killing our babies. You see, in animism, any child born with a special need, they would take that child, they would take it out into the wilderness, into a desolate place, and they would abandon that child to die due to exposure by itself. And he said, we must stop killing our babies. And we begin to see that when this this scripture is exposed, that those who are so blinded by idolatry and sin in that tribe, that the gospel itself, the word of God, begin to pierce their darkness and open their eyes to see. And you know what? That's exactly what Jesus is trying to do with his disciples and the blind man here in this story. Watch this in verse 4. Jesus would say to them, as long as it is day, a common phrase in that time, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. That phrase, as, as long as it is day, was a common phrase in that time to speak of a brief period of time, but also an urgency, an urgency to do the work, Jesus said of the one who sent me. Night is a reference to the darkness that Jesus would take. My darkness and your darkness upon himself on the cross, which by the way, by the where Jesus is speaking in John chapter 9, is just months away. There's coming a time, Jesus says, with urgency. And then we find in, in verse 5, he says to them, while I'm, the light, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, he spit on the ground. What's he doing? He not only spits on the ground, he made some mud with the saliva. Jesus, what are you doing? And then he takes that mud and he puts it on the man's eyes. He told him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, a word which means sent. And so the man went and washed. And the Bible says he came home seeing. A man who had never seen now goes home seeing. You know, it wasn't enough for Jesus just to say that he was the light of the world. He walked outside of the temple and became a light for a blind man's world. He became the light for a man who lived his life in darkness. He invaded the blind man's darkened eyes with light. Think of this. After the blind man went and washed off the mud of his eyes, in obedience to Jesus. He opened his eyelids. The light that entered through the blind man's eyes in that moment passed through his cornea, his pupil, his, tent, his lens. It traveled to the retina, retina, which for the first time in his life sent electrical impulses through the optic nerve to his brain. And his brain bowed to the command of Jesus to see. And for the first time in his life, he saw light. He didn't merely feel it, he saw it. For the first time in his life, he processed images he had never seen before. Now some of y'all are like, okay, really cool story, but why did Jesus have to spit? Like why, why did he have to play in the mud that was his spit? A little gross, really effective, but just kind of gross. Here's the deal. If the blind man were to stand before us today, 
he would not look back at that moment and think, man, that was pretty gross. He would say that was grace. It was, it was a work of, of God in my life. And by obedience, he goes to this pool of Salon, which was a spring of water that, that was sent into the temple area. It serviced the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember, that's the context in which we're in, even in John chapter 9. And that word sent means this, that, that that water was sent into the temple area to pour out blessing, to be a blessing for God's people. And what we see is this. In this moment, that Jesus would use the blind man's obedience to his words to pour out healing and to send blessing to this man's blind eyes. And oh boy, listen, did it cause a stir. In, in verses 8 through 12, his neighbors see that this blind man who now sees begin to ask some questions of who healed him and how. In verse 13, a Pharisee is brought into the conversation and he begins to interrogate this man formerly known as the blind man because Jesus had healed him on the Sabbath and they began to try to make a big stink of all of this. We, we studied that a couple of chapters ago. In verse 18, the Pharisees go as far to bring the blind man's parents and interrogate them. And you know what I love what his parents said in verse 23? Hey, he's of age. Ask him. He's old enough. You ask that boy what's happened. And then we pick back up here in verse 24. A second time. These religious leaders summoned this man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. And watch this. He replied, speaking of Jesus, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. I'll catch this. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I, I was blind. But now I see in verse 26, and they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Do you see it, church? You know what God's doing? God is building a testimony with and in this man's life. And don't you know that God's building that very same testimony in you? I love what I heard Rick Warren say once. He says, if you give it to God, he transforms your test into a testimony, your mess into a message, and your misery into a ministry. And that's exactly what he's doing in this man who used to be blind in his life. Well, then there's some more conversation between this former blind man and the religious leaders. And so this blind man steps up and says, hey, I've told you already what happened. You didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And this is one of my favorite lines. Because you know what? This blind man, a little bit of a smart aleck. And I love it. Watch this. Well, do you want to become one of his disciples too? Look, like when you're in an argument, maybe you're here, but you also know that you can say something with your husband or wife that, that can take the argument through the roof. Like he knew the words to say. And he said, you want to be his disciples too? Guys, look, they lose it. We catch up later on in verse 30, and the man answered. Now, this is remarkable. You don't know, speaking of Jesus, where he come from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. As God begins to build a testimony in his life, he begins to testify about Jesus. And I love this. 
They looked at him and said, you are steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And then the Bible says they threw him out. They threw him out. Hey, can I just tell you, sometimes you can get some spiritual street cred by getting kicked out of certain places. And you know what? This was one such place. Abraham Lincoln once said it this way, better to remain silent and be thought of as a fool than to open your mouth and to remove all doubt. Without question, these religious leaders revealed themselves to be fools. Guys, listen to me. Babies cannot sin in the womb. You see, these weak men, they, re- they revert back to the ridiculous because they cannot stand against the power of a blind man's testimony. Well, then here comes Jesus in the sweetest part of the story. In verse 35, Jesus had heard that they'd thrown him out. And when he found him, hey, can I just stop for a minute? There it is again in the Gospel of John that Jesus went and found him. Hey, can I tell you the beginning point of every testimony in this room was the day that Jesus came and found you and he came and he found me. Just when we thought we were after him, we realized all along that Jesus had come after us. Thank God for the day that he found me. Well, he went out and found him. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus asked the blind man. Who is he, sir, the man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. The very vehicle again in the Gospel of John by which a man is saved. In verse 37, Jesus said, you have now seen him. Listen. Jesus opened the blind man's eyes so that the blind man could see Jesus and be saved. Because watch this. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. In verse 38, then the man said, Lord, I believe. And then watch this, and then he went worshipped. Jesus, he worshipped him. You see, it is here in this moment that the blind man first believes. And here is the greatest part of this man's testimony. Not that a blind man now sees, but that a dead man lives. A man dead in his sin and trespasses has been made alive in Jesus Christ. You might be sitting there going, man, I, I, my testimony ain't nothing like that. I, I don't have a good testimony to share, really. I, I don't have a dramatic event like this blind man who was once blind and now sees. But I don't have this drastic change that came about in my life where I went from being really bad to being really good. Can I remind you of something I said now for the third week? Can I remind you something of the gospel The gospel is not about making bad people good, but dead people alive. Let me ask you, which is harder? To make a blind man see or to make a dead man live? If you are saved, if you are in Christ, you were once dead in your sin, but now Jesus has made you alive in Christ according to Ephesians 2. You ready? Here becomes our testimony. One thing I do know, that I was once blind spiritually, but now because of Jesus, I can see. Anytime Jesus saves, it is a testimony we're testifying about. Let's pick back up with John, if we could. 
You see, we catch back up with John, and he's on a shipping vessel called the Greyhound. And boy, is this ship thrashing about. They're in the midst of a North Atlantic storm for over a week. The canvas sails, well, they're ripped. The wood on one side of the ship has been torn away. It has been splintered. The sailors have resigned themselves to death for there was little hope of any survival. It would be on that day, on the 11th day of the storm, that John would be tied to the helm of the ship. That he would try with all of his mind to help the ship stay on its course. He would work from 1 o'clock until midnight in the storm. With the storm raging fiercely. John had some time to think. His life to him seemed as ruined and wrecked as the battered ship he was trying to steer through the storm. I read and studied his life through resources of the Library of Congress. I pieced together articles about what seemed to be God building a testimony in his life. And you know it was in that storm that John would give his heart and his life to Jesus, that he would begin to follow Jesus. He would later recall that moment as the moment he first believed. And he would say of his salvation this, the reason for God's mercy is unknown to me, but on this I know, whereas I was blind, now I see. Saved at the age of 39, following Jesus at the age of 39, would begin a 43-year career of preaching the gospel. In 1764, John suffered a stroke that would force him off the high seas for good. It'd be around Christmas of 1772 that John would take a pen and he would write a poem that would capture his testimony. It might sound pretty familiar to you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found was blind but now I see the testimony of a man who spiritually was blind who spiritually lived in darkness until the day that Jesus found this wretch, found this man, and through his grace, now through his amazing grace, opened his eyes so that he might see and find life everlasting in Jesus. Oh, the power of a testimony. Listen, oh, the power of your testimony of what God can do through your story. And so as a believer here today, I want to challenge you in light of what we see in John chapter 9 with a blind man, in the story, the testimony we've been able to sing that is amazing grace for generations now, can I challenge you, believer, about your testimony 
And I got some homework for you. Ready? Hey, number one, write it down. Hey, listen, some of you have never taken the opportunity to write down your testimony of faith. As a guy who's done dozens and dozens and dozens of funerals, can I tell you how wonderful it is to have a testimony in my hand written by the person? Have you ever written your testimony down? Hey, write it down tonight. Go home and put it on paper. Type it into a document. Write down your testimony. Here's the second challenge and homework I've got for you. Share it with your family and your friends. Have you, have you shared your, your testimony with your husband or wife? Have you sat your kids down, your grandkids, and said, I want you to hear me? I, I want you to hear the story of once when I was blind spiritually and how Jesus opened my eyes so that I might see how he saved me and how he changed my life. Here's where my life was before Jesus. Here's how Jesus changed my life. And here's what he's doing in my life now. Listen, if you've not shared that with your husband, your wife, your kids, your grandkids, your friends, your family, then you write it out. You gather them around. Promise food and I promise you they'll come. And share it with them. I I jotted this down. You ready? Keep the fire of your testimony burning so brightly that your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, your friends, and others can warm their hands by the fire of your faith. And here's the last bit. Testify to others. Here God has given us a testimony. Not just to experience, but He designed them to share And so many of us have testimonies of how Jesus has changed our lives and we've yet to ever share it. You see, here's the thing about a testimony. What a testimony really is, is never getting over what Jesus has done in and for you and making sure everybody knows about it. Making sure everybody knows about it. I want to challenge you to testify to others. Share that story of how Jesus changed you, how Jesus saved you. And you know what I do every time I share my testimony with somebody? At the end, I throw in an invitation. And here's what I say. I'm telling you that what Jesus did in me, Jesus can do in you. Would you, would you give him your heart and life? Would you follow him? Sometimes people say no. Other times people say, not right now, but many times. I'll have the opportunity there to help them know and love and follow after Jesus. Oh, the power of a testimony and an invitation for others to follow Jesus. So you got your homework before you. Write it down. Share it with your spouse, your kids, your grandkids. Share it with your friends know what look for the opportunity this week with someone who doesn't know Jesus can I share with you my story can I I just share with you my story here's where I was my life before Jesus here's the moment how Jesus changed my life and saved me and here's what he's doing in me now and I'm telling you what he did in me he can do in you 
wouldn't you give your heart and your life to and just follow me? One thing John Newton said before he died, one of my favorite quotes, of course, I love the song. Song's good. I love this quote. He said, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner. And Jesus is a great Savior. Church, I'm going to tell you, I will testify all the days of my life as long as I have breath in my lungs, as long as I have a heart beating in my chest to my wife and to my kids and my grandkids one day, to you church family and to the world. I know this, that I am a great sinner. Oh, but let me tell you about Jesus, who's our great Savior. Stand with me if you would. Let's sing out the testimony of John Newton. Let's sing out our testimony How sweet the sound that saved a rich life. Oh, here's the gospel. Here's the gospel lived out. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see it was grace. Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Here's where our faith hits the road through many dangers. Through toils and snares I have already come Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far and grace and here's will that lead grace leads. me One day in the presence home. of Jesus together Oh, and we've been there ten thousand years bright shining as the sun we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun can we pray together can I ask you a simple question do you have a testimony? A testimony of what your life was before Christ, where you were? A testimony of that moment when Jesus saved you and He changed everything? A testimony of what He's, what he's doing right now in your life? If not... By His grace today, He'll give you one. If you'd but believe in Him, place your faith and trust in Jesus and follow Him like two precious ladies did in our earlier service. Oh, listen. He'll give you that testimony. He'll save you. He'll give you new life. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website 
That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.